Welcome to the Career Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode will be our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. Today we'll be interviewing Catherine Hesse. Catherine is a founding partner of Murphy, Hesse, Toomey, and Lahane. She'll be focusing on her own career in law, the risk and rewards associated with starting her own uh, law practice. She'll offer uh, a fair amount of advice on women in the workplace and women specifically in the practice of law. Hope you enjoy our discussion. Catherine Hesse, uh, welcome to CareerPod. Thank you, Fred. I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. Good. uh, Now, why don't we start in the beginning, if we could, a little bit about your early life and education uh, that may or may not have influenced your career choices. Well, I had a different early life than many. I grew up as an Army brat, and I went to 17 schools in about 14 different states and countries before going on to college and law school. So I was automatically interested in international relations, and that, uh, and from there I developed an interest in the law and international relations. Well, I have to interject. Yes. I, you, you 17 different uh, posts. And, uh, what was your favorite? Uh... I would say Italy. Oh, yeah. Italy and Fort good. Knox, Kentucky. Okay. That's good uh, bookends there. And <laughs> I'll, I'll have to go negative. How about the one you dreaded? It may have had more to do with your time of life than anything else, but what was the one you didn't like uh, very much? Probably Georgia, um, because my father was, we were there for just a short time. Yeah. I didn't get to know many people, and my father was on his way to Vietnam. Okay. uh, That's a little bit tough. That's why. Yeah, and uh, well, later on, we'll talk about the power of building relationships and so forth. So uh, with that kind of uh, uh, need for resilience as a child and and adolescent, I'm sure you've developed some skills early on. It was very good for that. I think one of the things that has stood me well in my legal career has been the ability to meet new people, develop relationships right away, and that very much is a function of my upbringing and what what you have to go through as an Army brat. Sure. So you were saying that you were involved in, in, or interested rather, in, you know, international activities and, and law. How did law squeeze in there? Well, I have to admit, my father always had an idea that he had wanted to be a lawyer, and he wasn't oh. able to do so, so he had inculcated that in me. Good. And um, my international relations brought me to my junior year abroad, at, where I met a lot of other people who were also interested in law. So whereas I started out looking at international law, then when I got back to the U.S. and started to realize I had to get a job after I got out of college... Um, I, I, there was a brand new profession at the time called paralegal, and I really couldn't afford to go on to graduate school right away, and there was this new profession, so I said, well, why not? They guarantee you a job if you go to this school. So I became a paralegal. I was about the fourth or fifth paralegal in the city of Boston. Okay. And it was tremendous because the lawyers had no idea what to do with you. So you could pretty much say, oh, I can do this, yep. and you developed... I think for me, I developed the ability to figure out what I could do and then talk people into letting me do it. And it was tremendous. And before long, I had some of the lawyers saying, you should go to law school. Right. And from then on, you know, it was a natural. So you probably had some early mentors yourself, uh, people that gave you encouragement and so forth. Did you seek them out or did they seek you out to give you this advice? Or were you just in front of them? 
I would say it was a combination, but uh, the one that I remember from my first job, which was at a law firm, um, which was then a big firm in Boston, Bingham, Dana, and Gould, um, Norm Shakoy was the head of the banking department, and he he came to me and he said, gee, you know, I'll write you a recommendation to go to um, law school. I think you need to do it. And he was just tremendous. So he really sought me out. He'd seen my work. And also probably I had been a bit noisy because one of my jobs was to write reports on all the pending legislation. And after I would write reports on it, I would see how it was amended by one of the associates. And I got very upset one time because they were... Um, they had, I had done a fairly neutral piece on, um, on a piece of legislation that said there should be no discrimination based on um, uh, sexual orientation. Right. And uh, that was overruled, and it was instead uh, changed to be we should fight this legislation. <laughs> and I got so incensed that I went all the way up to the partner, which as a, which as a little... Uh, a, uh, paralegal was not the norm so I think I got drew a little attention myself early on so in in terms of the the uh, the credentials to get into you know the the profession what's your view about the quality of the or perceived quality of the law school as that influences uh, a company to hire a person or not and you probably have seen a mix what should people really uh, factor in when they consider which school to go to well, I always tell people there really is no preparation for to get into law school other than to go to the best undergraduate school and work really hard. You want to get good grades and you want to get a broad education. So I think the breadth of the education is almost more important than what you major in. It doesn't really matter too much. In fact, some of the most successful lawyers are people who major in things like engineering and scientific because they're then able to speak those languages and then apply the law to it. Where did you go to law school? I went to Boston University. Okay, and how, how was the education there? It was very good. Um, I um, met a lot of good teachers and students, and um, it is a local school, which was helpful. Um, and it is important what school you go to, honestly. Um, so working hard at the undergraduate level and getting to know people out in your work life and your professors who can write you recommendations so you get into a good law school is important to your future career. Um, and um, BU was terrific. I was able to work part-time, and that's something I would actually – I know a lot of people think you shouldn't work part-time when you're in law school. You should spend all of your time right. just studying. I actually think that um, that's one reason I was very glad I did not go directly from college to law school. I got some work experience. I realized I did have the ability to both work and um, and study. And so I, um, I did, and I just gained so much confidence in my ability to apply the law to a practical um, situation, and also I gained experience I could put on my resume, which was also very important. Now, how about summers? Did you work throughout the summer? or did Yes. You? Okay, that's good. Always had full-time summer jobs. I worked at both big firms and small firms during the summer. And what was your first full-time uh, position? I am actually still with the firm that I started with full-time, and I credit that to the fact that I had so many different experiences before then. Okay. Um, so that by the time that I made that decision, I knew I, I had a pretty good idea for what I wanted. And um, that and a combination of luck and enjoying the people that I work with and the work that I do 
it has allowed me to stay and to grow with some of the same core people um, to this day. Okay, yeah. well, that's, that's fantastic. And it's rare and rarer uh, that a person can spend basically a lifetime of work in, in one uh, situation. Uh, early on, what were some of the successes that you enjoyed or the most satisfying experiences in that first five, ten years of, of work? Well, I think that um, they were probably successes for clients. I had, um, I had one client that had a very difficult uh, situation and was faced with multiple suits, and I was able to get every single one knocked out at an early stage. And when you can defend a suit so that you don't have to go to trial, it saves your client so much money and aggravation, and eventually... When you have opposing counsel that comes up against you time and time and time again and always loses, eventually they stop. Um, so the client was ecstatic. We were able to do it um, without charging them a lot of money because we were able to win early. And some of that's luck, but it's also really, really putting in the work and uh, putting it in at an early stage. So getting those exciting victories was was wonderful being I think that one of the things about a small firm and why I often think that you can sometimes get better experience at a small firm is that you're kicked out of the nest much earlier and I was frightened my first couple of years to be you know in charge of some fairly major pieces of litigation things that we probably wouldn't ask people to do nowadays with only a couple years experience but it gave me a lot of confidence, and it gave me the opportunity to, you know, to really see what I could do. It was it was scary, but exciting. Did you go to trial in any of those? Yes, I did. I went to trial. My first trial was just months after starting, and um, it was an important trial for that client. Right. I don't think the client knew how young I was because because I had worked in sure. between. I seemed a little older, um, and was self possessed. But I was scared, and I was fortunate because I had also in law school engaged in what they call clinical experiences. So during my college year, or during my law school years, I had the ability to try a number of cases. Hmm. Had I not had that, I don't think I would have been ready for that experience. Probably two-thirds of the people listening to this won't understand my following reference. Uh, Any Perry Mason moment where, (laughs) you know... uh, you, 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 you made a brilliant statement. The judge ruled in your favor, and, and it kind of uh, tip, was tipping point. Well, you know, I don't know if I call it a Perry Mason moment, but I've had a few in my career, and one of them was on that first early case that I remember so well, when you almost, it's like you hear in basketball and other sports that people get in the zone. Right. And I was cross-examining the key witness, and... I really got in the zone where yeah. I almost wasn't even thinking what I was doing. I was zeroing in, right. and he folded. I mean, <laughs> it was like it was like a TV Perry Mason moment, and I was very I was very excited, but also I realized the power that that a good lawyer can have over a witness, and sure. it was actually it comes with responsibility too. Right, it not really to does. It. Well, thanks for sharing that. For those that never watched a Perry Mason uh, show, it has to do with you. You have that critical moment in uh, cross-examination when, uh, as uh, Catherine's mentioning, you're in the zone, and uh, a person will you'll break through their uh, their their guard or their shield, and uh, it's a Perry Mason moment. So, anyway, in your mid-career here, uh, how about the people that had the most influence on you? 
Probably the single biggest influence is um, the senior partner in our firm, who was a real mentor to me when I came on board. Just didn't feel, in my day, I was often the only woman. Right. And so he had to run interference for me sometimes, and he didn't mind it at all because he knew I was good and he was prepared to fight to get me the opportunities. And when people would push back and say, why are you sending me a woman? Or in those days, they would say, why are you sending me a girl? Yeah. He just said, watch her. She's good. You know. Right. And because they had such confidence in him, that transferred. So having somebody who's going to open that door for you and let you get a chance seize it. If you have somebody who will help you get started, go for it. And yeah. I'm forever grateful for that. Good. I guess now it's more appropriate to ask someone to open the door, too, uh, you know, being a little bit more proactive and so forth. While we're talking about women in work, uh, why don't you start with a general question? You've, you've worked in uh, classically a, a male-dominant industry and profession. So any general advice you can give women at work? Well, I guess I would say stand up for yourself and be, be direct. Know what you want and go for it. Do not worry too much about appearing overly aggressive or selfish because, you know, men do it every day of the week, and it's important that you let people know. That isn't to say you should become shrill or harsh or uh, use a, a rude tones, but it's very important that you not be so shy and retiring that people don't know where you're coming from. You need to make it clear you do expect to be treated equally, and if you feel that you're being treated unfairly, that you should speak up about it. Um, and I think that in this world, certainly in my profession, is there discrimination still? Of course there is, and I see colleagues that have had to deal with that. But the reality is, is most professional firms, and this goes for accounting firms, architectural firms, engineering firms, as well as law firms, they're afraid to lose women. They are losing a lot of women, and many of them are putting things in place so that they won't lose women. They're making sure that they do have maternity leave policies that are um, reasonable and that women are being mentored and do have the opportunity to become partners because they want that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's in the context of just acquiring and, and retaining great talent. Mm -hmm. At some point along the line, uh, you were part of uh, forming a, a different partnership. And uh, explain just broadly a little bit about that and if there was a, a risk to that if and what was the reward. And if you look at put in the context of your own career, you know, what, what did that look like, that decision? Well, it is kind of scary to venture out on your own to make the different to, to make a choice between being an employee of a known and successful entity to being an owner of a new firm where everything's you know you're the one who has to bring in the business and bring in the um, and develop the clients and you're responsible for managing the firm and everything from getting everything. So it is a big difference. If I could just interject yes, when did this happen? You would work for a company for yes. how many years before? this really came up? I had probably been working for them for about eight or nine years. Okay. And several of us decided to start a new firm, and we basically did it because the old firm, we felt we were losing a lot of talent. It was just as simple as that. There was It was not that there was dissension. It was not the sort of things that you might think. It was that they were not willing to make any more partners, and we realized that we were starting to lose the best young talent 
they pretty much decided I might be their last partner. Right. And that was just not going to work because we, we, needed, we needed to attract the best talent to attract the types of clients we were handling at that time. Um, so it was as simple as that. Okay. Did you have a discrete role in the new firm, or did you have shared responsibilities for hiring people and making decisions on clients, or did you have a particular role that evolved? Well, my initial role was that um, I didn't have a lot of young children running around so that my living room became um, uh, the planning space to plan the new firm and where we had meetings to decide, okay, where would we rent our space and who would we, you know, how would we set it up? Um, so my my role changed a lot right away. And I w it was, as I say, everything from hiring employees to uh, office space to in, what insurance did we need, to how long a lease would we, we be willing to write, to what clients uh, and how we, how we would bill, what rates we would charge. It was, it was a lot from having basically been involved in just handling legal work for clients to running a business. Yeah. And then, obviously, the company grew. Uh, how do you describe your firm right now in terms of size and scale, number of lawyers, uh, revenue, if that's publicly acknowledged, how do you describe it in terms of scale, big size? I would say we're a mid-sized firm. Murphy Hesse Tumey and Lahane has, um, I believe, 36 lawyers now, and we are in a hiring mode. We're probably we've just hired um, four lawyers. I think we're looking to hire a couple of more uh, lawyers right now, and uh, I would say that we're we're in a growth mode. Okay, and you've got a general practice, or, or is it focused more on labor and benefits and employee issues, or do you go into pretty much all the areas? Although we do have a general practice, there are only a couple of people who engage in what I would call just the general practice of law. So they're kind of a, a general practice firm within a firm. Our main areas of emphasis are labor and employment law in all of its glory, basically anything that deals with a workplace issue, whether it's a health issue or a discipline issue, an employee records issue, a recruiting issue, an EEO, a sexual harassment issue. And um, uh, uh, we assist companies from putting in place policies, training employees, dealing with problems that come along uh, and defending them in cases. It's a really yeah, fun much. area of the law. And we also have a big education law practice, hmm. which is a bit unique, cool. representing schools from um, private charter school and charter schools to public schools to uh, colleges and universities. Okay, interesting. Yeah, mm. Kind of full plate. Yeah. And, and how about your role at full maturity of your job? What, uh, just briefly, if you could describe, what was your focus then? Well, it was twofold. You never stop having the practice of law being a major part of it. Um, if a firm gets big enough, it can release a lawyer from those duties to only manage the firm. Right. We're not at that size, and so we spread it out. We have a management committee. We have a, do have a managing partner who spends more of his time doing it, but all of us take on a fair amount of management duties. Now, for me, one of my major roles was to be um, was to raise the profile of the firm and to be a marketer. So um, 
part of that's because I enjoy being out and joining different groups and being visible. So I, I've been active in the Bar Association. I've been active in different women's organizations. I've been active in politics yeah. um, and the like, social yeah, I services. I comment on that, that mm. you, you're a joiner, and uh, you've had leadership roles in those organizations, quite a few of them, too. Uh, if, if you look at your own role uh, as a potential mentor, too, have, have you been able to do that to uh, female lawyers? I guess I could ask you a question. Of the 37 lawyers, how many are female? We, well, I'm very proud to say that we have me, our, our percentage of women and our percentage of women partners is as good as or better than any firm in the city that I know of, other than there are a couple of very small female-only firms. So I am very, 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 very happy with uh, the progress that we've made. Um, Just just fantastic, really. And I'm still a mentor to the young women. Um, We have a young woman that started with us recently, and I'm getting her involved in what I hope will be leadership positions for her as she moves along that'll bring her a good network. It's always important, I think, in law to have those outside contacts because you never know when it's going to be able to help you achieve a goal for a client or to bring in some business for the firm. And it's it, so I really do encourage both women and men to do that. And I've, I've been a, a mentor to men as well, but I particularly um, seek out women to mentor. Good. You touched on this earlier, but it's probably worth going back to for maybe some more input and that has to do with the uh, you know, some of the challenges uh, females have in uh, the workplace, but specifically in, in the legal profession, uh, the need for measured assertiveness uh, occasionally. But anything else that comes to mind? Measured assertiveness, that's a really good way to put it, Fred. Um, I, think, I think for women, um, it's a- and men, I think this advice would go to both genders, I think you want to be perceived as a hard worker and somebody who's going to be creative and diligent on behalf of their client. And one of the things that you also find, and in fact, it's it's kind of a motto at our firm, is quiet victories. The idea is not to have everybody think, oh, you're the F. Lee Bailey or you're, you're the finest lawyer on the planet. In fact, many of your clients will just assume that nobody ever knew that they even used a lawyer to accomplish their end. They want you to win without them ever ending up in court. They want you to prevent problems early on. They want you to help them deal with things quietly. And in order to do that, you really need to know that client and what their goals are to, to be able to really do that effectively for them in a way that's consistent with their own values and, and external um, relationships. Yeah. Um, so that's that can be a challenge because it's not always, it, you know, it's not always just practicing the best law that you can do. It's also being able to understand the more subtle needs of your client that they don't articulate always. And that's, that's very satisfying, actually. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you bring up a couple points. And one has been brought up quite frequently uh, in uh, these discussions we've had uh, having to do with a simple thought work hard mm-hmm. and uh, especially early in a career because that's when your reputation starts to take shape well I have to say uh, working hard is one of the best lessons that any young lawyer can can learn because I think that if you if, if you're not 
working hard, it'll be noticed, number one. doesn't mean you have to be there till all hours. It means what are you accomplishing? Um, so you can work from home oftentimes. Um, and the other thing is, is that if you're not getting the work assignments and you're not busy, that should tell you something. It should tell you that people either don't know you're available or that they don't think that the quality of your work is up to par. So if you're not getting enough work, do something about it. Right. Don't let that slide. Uh, on that point you made about uh, getting close to the client and understanding what their needs are, again, that's a consistent theme in business and law or whatever, to understand that you're not there to please your own imperatives. It's that you're there to do what the customer really is looking to have done. But uh, the, the best of workers in, in any profession understand that and are okay with that. One thing I might just mention is that I feel very, very fortunate in that regard, Fred. There are times, I think you're, you hit it on the head, you exactly want to accomplish for the client what the client wants. Once in a blue moon, I've had it happen twice in my career, you do have clients who want you to do something that's unethical. And in the law, your credibility and integrity is everything. It's your reputation. If you develop a reputation that isn't consistent with one of high integrity uh, and credibility, that can destroy you in the courts and your ability to get things done for clients. And so you just, you really do have to remember that. Yeah, unlike a lot of uh, professions, uh, you take an oath. That's right. And, uh, you know, I, in my work life, I never took an oath. Uh, but that really differentiates you, uh, not to say that in business we shouldn't have the highest ethics also. All right, how about emerging technologies? Uh, they impact all of us, and I'm sure since you were a paralegal, the difference in technology to support, whether it be uh, research into precedents or the law or how you communicate with customers or each other, uh, how about your firm? Where are you in that evolution and compare and contrast maybe with your earlier days? It's night and day, yeah. Fred. The, the, the technology has just leapfrog. When I started, all of our legal research pretty much was book learning, you know, and oftentimes the libraries that would be needed would be more than what any one law firm would have. Have So as a paralegal, I often would traipse down to the social law library or to the Kirstein Business Library to, to spend time reading through books and magazines and old articles to develop uh, facts for a case that we were working on. Today, you can, you know, they're, they're, it, it's, it's very interesting. It's definitely cutting into and changing the legal field because lay people, civilians, can Google legal questions and get a fair amount of information. Now, some of the information they're getting is faulty right. or will lead them to false conclusions. Um, but what it means is that the lawyer has to assume that the client may, in fact, already be fairly knowledgeable and they really want you for your real expertise and your judgment and your experience. So what that does is it puts a premium on exactly that, your knowledge and experience, which only comes with time. And what that means is that young associates have to work extra hard right. so that they gain that as early in their careers as possible. It's similar when we all go to the doctor now. We've yes. obviously Googled <laughs> our ailments and have a, the, pretty much a diagnosis <clears throat> and uh, treatment all nailed down. 
if you look back at your career, any things you would have done differently, you think? I might have. I, I was encouraged to be a judge many times, including by sitting judges. And I always thought, well, it wouldn't be as much fun because you're just sitting there listening to other people as opposed to being an advocate. And I really enjoyed an advocate. But at this stage of my career, I actually am finally saying, you know what? I'm very good at resolving disputes. And so I am developing a bit of a mediation and a position where I'm able to go in as the neutral on a case and assist parties rather than advocating for one side or the other. And I'm finding that that's very satisfying. But the fact that I had all those years as an advocate has really assisted me to to be effective as a mediator. Okay. You just can't pick sides. You can't pick sides, no. But you can make it a win-win for both. And the question about luck, you know, good luck and bad luck, and it has to oftentimes be put in context. But any good luck, bad luck in your career? Well, I think I had the good luck to find the people that I'm with now. And it is, it's rare that you find people who have such a combination of attributes that really clicks. And between the the brightness, the um, you know aggressive desire to grow a firm, uh, the willingness to be, you know, to put in the work to be experts in a particular field. I would not be the world's best general practice lawyer. I needed to find a niche, and I had decided against a number of niches. So finding a labor and employment practice in a small firm where I could also rise up and be a managing partner. That, that's a pretty great opportunity that I, that was given to me, um, and uh, I'm glad that I was able to seize it. It was, it was I suppose it was luck, but um, I was willing to, to grab it and go for it. And your, your career kind of uh, followed a period of radical change in, in the employee-employer relationship, whether it be the civil rights legislation and the equal pay and a whole lot of law changed uh, during your time so that must have been an exciting uh, part of your career focus too. It was very exciting and that's one of the things that interested me in labor and employment law is that Mm -hmm. uh, some of those barriers to gender discrimination issues were were really on the forefront and one of the things that interested me in taking those labor and employment law courses when I was in law school and therefore seeking out a firm that might give me an opportunity to do that. So, you know, I always encourage people to figure out what's going to interest them and um, and go for it. On the other hand, sometimes you're given an opportunity and you might find an interest just because it happens to be there and find that you never might have thought of it on your own, but it's it's it can produce wonderful fruits for you. Right. Uh, uh, kind of a metric question here as you look back at your career and you've got some miles ahead, but... Currently, how would you evaluate your career on a 1 to 10 scale? Where do you think you are? Oh, wow. Um, you know, it's interesting. Maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe an 8.5. Um, okay. You know, I, I wish I could say a 10, but we have a number of things that goals still to reach, and maybe it's best never to get to be a 10 sure. because they're always – I. Th- for me, anyway, I always have to have a challenge ahead. Um, I don't want to ever get complacent or feel like there's nowhere else to go. And yes, are we very lucky? We have a firm, and we have, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of great people that we've hired. I've got people that I can now delegate major accounts to, that I feel have the expertise and the um, credentials to handle it. Uh, so a lot of good things, but there's still challenges ahead. So. 
you know, if I had my druthers, I'd love to, you know, as I move on, um, one of the things that the law is as a career is it provides a very nice ability to adapt and to change. I feel like I've had multiple changes in my career over the years, and that's been great. I've really changed even the field of focus okay. um, in my career, and I think that'll continue for the next few years. Okay. It's been great. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. It's been very enjoyable, and uh, we'll look forward to talking in the future, too. Thank you. Thank you, Fred.